Lord, this is nothing more than a building. We're your church. The church isn't construction material. It's blood-bought souls. And what a gift it is, Lord, to be blood-bought, to, to be reminded of the great value that we hold to you in, in what you are willing to do that we're going to celebrate during communion today, that, that there was no other way for us to heaven but through the work of the cross and the gift of your Son. So we're so thankful, Lord, that it, it, as we have come here today, Lord, that, that we want to take in your truth. We want your truth to come in and do the work that you want it to do in each one of our lives. That we might fulfill the very purposes of why you, our awesome creator, made us and what your design was for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that our purposes are found in you. Thank you for your awesome, life-changing, sanctifying word. May it have its way with each of us today as we are here today to hail you as King and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I think we're finishing up chapter 3 of John. We're in John's Gospel. If you're new here today, you're probably thinking, what is he talking about? John chapter 3. <clears throat> oh, no, I'm not sick. Yesterday was the first wrestling match. You know how that goes every year. Just a disclaimer. Um, yeah, we, we picked up, <clears throat> or we left off. We're picking up today where we left off last week. And it really, other than doubt from the dungeon that we're going to be seeing, because even the greatest of people of faith have their moments of doubt, have the attacks that they come under when circumstances get too overwhelming. But we really see the last statement of John the Baptist. It really sums up his life it is from a heart of genuine transparency where we can see great humility. And, and this is what he claims, and, and, and this is what he lived, and really... What we live is really the legacy that we leave. So it's a lot more than just being able to spew out scriptures like some kind of a biblical Rolodex, but being able to actually allow those things that we proclaim from our mouths to be seen through our lives. And John simply said this, he must increase and I must decrease. He embraced in his life a personal decrescendo, all right, for you music majors, that is a word, I looked it up before I said it, <laughs> that he was willing just to allow himself to become less and less and less, that Christ might become more and more and more. And I think as believers, we shouldn't settle for anything less than that. That should be our goal. I think Paul said this, he goes, I die daily. So it really is a personal decision for each of us to say, you know, I live today not for me, but for the king who redeemed me. I choose to decrease that he might increase. So when I decrease, that means self-focus, that means selfishness, that means self-will, that Christ-focus, that being full of Christ and Christ-will would prevail through me. That's what John leaves us with. You know, if you think about it, if you knew you were going home, and if you're a Christian, heaven's our home. 
if you knew you were going home and you had some final conversations, think of the weight. Think of the weight of your final words. You would try to sum it all up, wouldn't you? In the last paragraph, the last sentences, whatever it might be, we see the same thing with Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, his swan song, him writing to the church, him writing to his young protege, apprentice pastor, call him whatever you want to, about, you know, staying the course, finishing course, keeping the faith, fighting good fight, could be carved on his tombstone because it was genuine in his life. John the Baptist decreasing that Christ might increase could be carved on his tombstone because it was genuine in his life. I read a t-shirt one time that said, live your life so your pastor won't have to lie at your funeral. And like, there wouldn't have to be no lying at these guys' funerals. You know what I mean? <laughs> no lying at all, man. Real deal. John, Paul, Epitaph, you know, whatever. Swan song, final words. He must increase. So now things shift. In, in, in the Greek here, we see that there's really, the scholars believe that there's a shift here. And now John the Apostle, who is a human instrument writing this letter, is the one that's taken off from 31 to 36. Up to this, we've seen John the Baptist talking in the above verses, but now it kind of shifts to John the Apostle speaking. He says, he that comes from above is above all. And, you know, we can brush through these things quickly. But when I look at that, and I look at what John says, and this is the Apostle of love. And I tell you, I think we need to be reminded that Jesus said the greatest is love. That the great Apostle John said that he is above all. You know what he's claiming? He is assigning superiority to Jesus. Assigning that to Jesus. And in so assigning superiority, that means you embrace inferiority. He's greater. So when it comes to my life, it's about him prevailing. Having his way. Damascus wrote, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? My life now, blood-bought, redeemed, no longer belonging to myself. I want what you want for me. I choose to live the life you've assigned to me. He's above all. That's why we worship him. Because he's superior. And he allowed himself to take on an inferior position of humanity that we're going to see here. Entering in, that's what Christmas is all about. Divinity entering into humanity. To pay our ransom. He that is above, he is that of the earth is earthly. He speaks of the earth. He that comes from heaven is above all. And what he's seen and heard, that what we testify. But, but look at this, verse 32. This, this is what's so sad. Generally, overall, that no man receives his testimony. I don't remember. I, was prepared, I, I thought I was going to teach this last week, so forgive me if I repeat this because I don't know if I said it last week or not. But, but I do remember when I got saved that I really thought that 
this is great, and I couldn't wait to tell my friends. Thinking that I got saved, man. I'm going to heaven now. I want to tell them so they can get saved and go to heaven. I thought this message would be received. (laughs) Nope, they treated me like they did Jesus. So overall, we we remember and we realize that, that Jesus was despised and rejected. If you're sitting here today and you're born again, you know, I'll tell you what. Be overwhelmed with gratitude. Be overwhelmed with thankfulness. Because what Jesus is accustomed to is most people rejecting, not receiving. If you've received him, you need to know that you're of this group of people that are the most blessed on the globe. And it has nothing to do with your successes. It has nothing to do with your financial condition. It has nothing to do with your social status. Nothing to do with that. It's the fact that because what he did and you opening up your heart to that, that when you expire here, you arrive there. It's good news. And I don't know about you, but I'm very homesick, especially lately. I'm looking forward to the place I was purposed to dwell forever. I got two Bibles going here. So, but he that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. That's what we seal with our life. Our life is a certification. It's a, in the Greek, it's like a certification. So our life is a certification. Not that God needs us, but we validate what he's able to do through the second birth that he talked about Nicodemus to a couple weeks ago. It certifies that. And, and, and one of the reasons why is because you and I, we actually get the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the seal in these days was it would be an owner's signet ring, and if they owned something, they would put a piece of wax in there, and they would seal the thing with their ring, and they'd leave their insignia on there to show that this is under ownership. It's so neat that in the book of Ephesians chapter... I don't like the word neat. It's so really awesome that in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that the word being sealed with the Holy Spirit in a Greek, it's like a picture of an engagement ring. You remember when you got engaged, if you're married here, how you did it? I bought a puppy and tied the ring around its neck. And that dog ended up being a dog from hell. I gave it to my father-in-law, who's the dog whisperer, and he told me, it's a dog from hell. That is biblical hell. 
But, you know, you give that engagement ring because you have a set date when all of a sudden that union's going to take place and you're going to be together. That sacred relationship. And that's what, that's what God does. He gives you and I the Holy Spirit because, you know, early on in my walk with Jesus, it was like, you know, am I saved or am I not saved? You know what I mean? Because you, you, you struggle a little bit and you think, oh, I can't be saved if I'm thinking that or doing that or I accidentally said that or whatever. The proof of your salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the seal. That's the seal. That's the engagement ring. So God's basically saying he's not putting a, a ring on us. He's actually putting a spirit into us and letting us know that eventually this union's going to come together when we meet face to face. But right now, I want you to have confidence it's going to happen. And because of that, I have great security. I stand before you. If I drop before you right now today, I will be in heaven. That is not arrogance. That's absolute confidence because I put all my eggs in one basket, Jesus's basket. And it says here, for he whom God has sent, he speaks the word of God, the words of God. So Jesus came to convey to us the very heart of the Father. For God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. Verse 35 says, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. I don't believe there's anybody that has ever walked this planet, including Job, or individuals and testimonies that we've heard over the years that have struggled so many, in so many ways. I don't believe anybody has come close to going through what Jesus Christ went through. When I look about at him and I study his example, it was adversity slander, misunderstood, unjustly hated, rejected, sorrows, grief, tears, betrayal, denied, forsaken, and hated. You, you look at all that, and, and, and that's what he daily experienced. And, and, and it doesn't always line up with what the famous authors in the, quote, Christian realm are writing today, but that's what he went through. And he told us that if we are going to follow him as his disciples, we should expect adversity, that there will be persecutions, that there will be trials, hardships, storms, fires. There's going to be all those things. And we look at that and everything that he went through, and sometimes even in our own lives, when things start to pile up, it's like, how do you move forward? You look at Paul, and, and you look at everything that Paul went through because he was living his life right before the throne of God. You know, beaten, shipwrecked, stone, blah, 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 blah. The list goes on and on and on, and everything that he went through. But Paul said this, it's the love of God that compels me. The love of Christ compels me. It's Jesus' love that keeps me pressing on. How did Jesus keep going? He knew that the Father loved him. You cannot lose sight of the love of God in your life or you will quit. You'll wave the white flag. You'll recluse. You'll go to the places that God has not called you to do because life's gotten too hard. You've gotten dealt a raw blow. 
That's because, you know what, this is my Father's world yet. Not yet, but it will be. He created, but it's flawed. And right now we have a fallen angel that's the underlying influence of this world, and we're living under a curse, so we should expect hardships. But hardships will end someday, and the king will reign supreme someday, and none of these things will bother us anymore for all of eternity as we spend our time together not experiencing any of these things, just bathing in the love of God and being together. So if you're here today, you feel like I'm at my last thread, I'm at my last, I'm about ready to give all this up, it's not worth it, it's too hard, whatever it is, you need to get to the foot of the cross. We're going to take communion today. you got to get to the cross. That's where God's love was demonstrated. How could God love me? My circumstances stink. God loves you because his son died for you. How could God love me? You know, this, this time of the year, I get so depressed. I've experienced so much loss. He understands that. God loves you because his son died for you. And I'm pointing at the communion trays that we're going to be celebrating. Jesus never doubted the love of the Father, even in the midst of everything that he went through and committed himself totally to the Father and the love of God what was fueled him going forward when everything else was pressing back. Verse 36 tells us this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What does that mean? That unbelief right there literally means disobedient not persuaded to believe, not willing to wave that white flag of the will and to yield and submit to the lordship and the saviorship of Jesus Christ in a life. But we look at this, and what he says here, he that believes on the Son shall have everlasting life. He that believes not on the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. That word shall not there, it's absolute. It's very absolute. No second chance. This is it for you, maybe even today, to finally give your life to Jesus Christ. So verse 36 or ends here with a promise. Verse 17 started with a promise. But the question, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, says that all the promises of God in Christ are yes. And in Him, amen, to the glory of God. But here's the question. Are we inside of the promises or are we outside of the promises? Are you confident and secure? Or are you insecure and concerned? Because what we have is no other way to escape hell and to enter into heaven but faith in God's provision, His Son. That's what this chapter is about. Remember, this chapter is a crossroads. It forces people to make a choice. And not making a choice is making a choice. 
And one of the things that as we enter into chapter 4 here, one of the things that, that we need to remember is that, God, that Jesus said this to the religious leader, for God so loved, the object of the love of God was the world. All-encompassing. All nations. All peoples. No one being excluded. And it's very interesting because now we're going to see an encounter that Jesus Christ has with an individual that was looked down upon to the deepest degree, a Samaritan woman. This is a chapter of hope we have here. It's a woman at a well. And when I look at this and when I was chewing on these truths this week, I was thinking about this, that, that we all have people that we're concerned for, eternally and spiritually. Their eternal standing with God, the life that they're settling for, and the damage that can be caused in their life as they continue to walk in spiritual darkness. But our confidence... Our confidence is this, is the same Jesus that we see in this chapter rose again the third day. And is it work today? And a lot of the work that he does with these divine encounters with broken people is how he wants to meet them, not face to face like we see here in John 4, same way he wants to meet them, but now it's through the deposit of himself in you and through you. And I think there's some challenges in this chapter because I don't know about you, but I want my ministry to model Jesus's. And if it doesn't model Jesus, I shouldn't be in the ministry. And we need to remember that we're in ministry. Okay? It's not a pastor, elder, deacon thing. It's a born-again thing. God puts the treasure of who he is in these earthen vessels, the clay, us clay pots. Not to be kept in there, but almost like Gideon, that, that those lanterns would be smashed so that the light could shine through. So we're going to see this encounter here. Now, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 2, I think it's very important to see this. That, that though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. I believe that, that they were doing a very symbolic baptism. And I don't think Jesus baptized for the reason that he didn't want the baptism that he came for to be confused with this baptism. The believer's baptism, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and admission and confession and ceremonial cleansing. The believer's baptism is a baptism of identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we do that. We had a great baptism this year. But we're told in the Bible 
that Jesus wants to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Not that it would be symbolic, but that it would be dynamic. What I mean by that is it's the experience with the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2 with the believers at Pentecost that he wants each one of us to experience so what? So that we can be his witnesses. So that we can be anointed by the Holy Ghost to be the, all that we've been called to be for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it ourselves. We need a dynamic empowering. So he didn't baptize them, but his disciples, and he left Judea, and he departed again to Galilee. Primarily, okay, remember, we've got huge bigotry in the Jewish people. Huge national bigotry. So he's going to a primarily Gentile region. He departed into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria, all right? So we see here that he's got to go through Samaria, what most Jews would avoid because they did not want to get Samaritan dust on them because they did not want to be contaminated and be considered unclean. There was a deep hatred amongst these people. But I look at Jesus here, and he said he must needs go through Samaria. There was a must-need there. I'm going to throw a question out to you. Is God's ambassadors, that's what we have been called to be, ambassadors for Christ? An ambassador is one that is sent to represent the one who has sent them? This is my challenge to you because the Holy Spirit challenged me. Is my life schedule-driven or Holy Spirit-led? Schedule-driven or Holy Spirit-led? What I mean by that is are we slaves to an insanely busy, on the go, all the time, where we're missing the opportunities that God wants to give us. I believe in the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things at all times. And in His infinite wisdom that he can allow things to transpire in my life because there might be a must needs that he wants me to meet he might be doing a work in a life with an individual that just so happens to be at the hardware store and God all of a sudden is going to let something happen or break in your home. So you got to go to the hardware store and find that part to fix that annoying thing that just broke that you're so irritated about and you just got to get it fixed. But there might be an individual 
at the other end of that aisle that God has been preparing. Maybe the individual is even suicidal. Maybe his, his spouse just left him or, or, or his kids came down with a bad, uh, bad information from the doctor or whatever it might be. Are we sensitive enough to know that with God, every day counts and every day he's trying to align divine opportunities for our life? Well, the first question is, do we care? Do we even care? You know why Jesus went to Samaria? Must needs go through Samaria? Because he cared. Number one, he cared. Do we care about our neighbors? Do we care about the people that we are working with? Do we care about the individuals this week that we're going to be seeing? Sometimes we've even been put in positions where we have to go to the doctors. And are we overwhelmed with so much fear and concern that that we don't see that there's a need sitting right next to us in the waiting room? You see, I believe the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do, what I want him to do with me, because I'm guilty of this, because I'm schedule-driven far too often, is that there be just renewed sensitivity. Just a renewed sensitivity that there's opportunities out there that God wants us to see, that he's orchestrating. Because everything that he's invested in your life and my life wasn't designed to be stuck in there like a reservoir, but it's designed to flow from us like a river. And there's a broken world that needs our Jesus. And he's walking around today. But he's walking around through you and me. Because that's where he said he chose to take up his abode, his home. So, he must needs go through Samaria, the object of God's love. He so loved the world. She's part of this world that he loves. And his must needs were about eternal needs. The eternal needs. So Jesus' schedule was always bent on eternal need. So he goes to Samaria. Samaria is the Samaritans. We're, you know, I love when Jesus did his parable. He used the good Samaritan as he's speaking to all the, the religious people in, in, uh, <clears throat> in Jerusalem hearing here this teaching, and that would have shocked them. Uh, we're going to remember, we're going to see James and John, you know, when Jesus was ready to go to Jerusalem and, and he had to go through a city of Samaria, they didn't want him there. And, and, and James and John were fired up and they, Lord, you, you want us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah and we'll just char this whole place. And he's like, man, you don't know what your spirit you're of. So we're going to see that. But eventually, and I think some of the seeds of John chapter four is the beauty of what we're going to see in Acts chapter eight. When you read Acts chapter 8, what happened in Acts 8? Boom, persecution. Philip goes to Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria. He's preaching a word. What happens? Revival. And it all could have been hinged off the seeds of what God was choosing to do through this woman, this woman, and all the men of the town that she had close encounters with. So, who were these Samaritans? Here, here's, the, here's who the Samaritans were. They were half Jew and they were half Gentile. After the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC, certain Jews stayed behind, but they intermarried with the, Assyria, the Assyrians producing the Samaritans. Okay, that's who they were. They were people who violated 
the law of Deuteronomy. Remember what they were told? You don't give your sons to their daughters. You don't give your daughters to their sons. And in a nutshell, why did he say that? Because they will turn your children's heart away to follow their gods. You don't do it. They had their own temple. They had their own copy of the Torah. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, they had their own religious system. But, but remember, they also took on the gods of the Assyrians. So it, what the enemy looks to do, this is what the enemy looks to do, and that's why you need to pray for Opaz, is the enemy always looks to infiltrate and contaminate. That's what he looks to do. You know, Paul told Titus, you know, preach the things that are sound doctrine, healthy teaching. Healthy teaching received leads to healthy Christian living. And that's why we go through the Bible, because this is what we want to stick to. So we see here that, that he comes to this woman. These people, they were despised of the Jews. There was national bigotry. They avoided and walked around this area where they lived because they didn't want to be contaminated by these, quote, filthy people. But there's something different about the way Jesus saw people. I believe the design, if we model the ministry of Christ, we see things the way he sees things. And when you're letting Christ live through you, you never look down on someone because you're too busy looking out to them. And we see Jesus shows up. He comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. You, you know, you, you can breeze through that real quick. But I think that you and I need to remember, and I think the Christmas season reminds us, and in Hebrews chapter 4 tells us about our, our high priest, taking on hu humanity gives him a connection with you and I, that he totally understands everything that we go through. He understands our weaknesses. What was Jesus, half man and half God? No, he was all God and all man. He felt what we feel. You can't say to God he doesn't understand because he does understand. So he's weary. And, and you know what? I don't know. I'm telling you what, if you're doing Christianity right, you're going to get weary. You're going to get very weary. That's why the Bible tells us don't grow weary. And while doing, you'll reap if you faint not. Keep going. Steadfast, diligent, always abound in, in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. You just keep going. What does Jesus do here? He's worn out. And you know what he does? He just keeps ministering. He keeps ministering. He keeps pouring out. And it says here that 
He's weary with his journey, sat thus at a well, and it was the sixth hour. That would have been noon. That's the time when nobody comes. <laughs> Nobody's there. The well's empty at noon. Nobody wants to come when it's hot. They come in the morning, they come at night. But all of a sudden, he's sitting there, and here comes one individual. And, and I wonder, I think about the contrast. I don't want to read into it, but the potential of what could be there. Why did she come when no one else was there? We're going to find out that she had been married five times, and, and at this time she was shacked up living with someone. Imagine the possibility of what the town's view of her was, things that have been spoken to her, Imagine in her life that maybe because of those things being built up, because death was spoken into her, she dragged shame with her. And she chooses to go at a time where she wouldn't have to come face to face with anyone. But Jesus is there. And in the height of her immorality the height of her immorality. There's a Savior that's trying to draw her to the wells of salvation. So I wonder how the town viewed her, and then I look at how Jesus viewed her. If we haven't learned this by now, then we're missing the boat. We live in a world full of broken people. People are the way they are because they're broken inside. And sometimes their brokenness creates great difficulty for us. But I'm going to tell you this. When our ministry models Jesus's and we see as he sees... There's a priceless value to broken people. A priceless value. The treasures of this earth are found in lost souls. Jesus willing to interrupt his schedule inconvenience himself to introduce who he was to this woman. She comes to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Now, this was shell-shocking to her. Now, 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 think about this, okay? It was known that the daily Jewish prayer was, thank God I'm not a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. That was the bigoted daily Jewish prayer. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were only created, that you and me, that we were only created to keep the fires of hell burning hot. All right? So, so that was their view of you and me. So you got to think of the shock 
that this woman experienced when him being a Jew would connect with her. But, but here's the thing about ministry, okay? Here's the thing about ministry. He didn't wait for her to say something. He initiated. Got to initiate contact with people. Initiate, communicate. I know some of us are a little bit more shy than others, but as Christians, we need to pray for opportunities to initiate into people's lives because he's going to give her some truth. People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. I, I, I saw another T-shirt. I don't know. It must be T-shirt week. I saw another T-shirt one time where it said, preach the gospel, and if need so, use words. Well, I think I could blow holes in that one because... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, it's, it's not just about living light, you know, because they might just think, oh, what a nice person. They're so moral and kind. But that needs to be connected to the fact that it's because of Jesus. <laughs> it's the only thing good in me is Jesus. So she's just blown away here. He, he engages her, communicates with her. His disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. He sent them away so they didn't get in the way, I'm convinced. Then said the woman of Samaria, How is it you being a Jew asking me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaria? She has no idea. She's talking to her creator. This is She's face to face with her creator treating her with such respect and such honor, such grace, such love. Probably nobody took the time to talk to her, I would imagine, or the things that were spoken to her, she probably tried to shun her ear from, but she's blown away and said that, look, there's no dealings. There's, there's just this huge wall, but, but Jesus obliterates this wall that has been erected between the Samaritans and the Jews to carry the good news to her. She's blown away, but he breaks through. He radically, with this conversation, he radically flips everything upside down. Chauvinism flipped upside down, bigotry flipped upside down, self-righteousness flipped upside down to connect and engage with this woman. Jesus answered, said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says unto thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He offers her a different source of water, a different kind of water from a different source. And a woman said, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well's deep. <clears throat> Where do you got this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> that must have been funny for him to hear. Yeah, just a little greater which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children his cattle. And, and Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing to the well probably, you're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. 
There is a thirst in our lives that is far deeper than physical. There's a thirst in our lives that is spiritual, it's eternal, and it's of the soul. I can vividly remember that thirst of things being good, but just something I'm missing. And I believe really it's about coming to a place of where do I find satisfaction? Where do I find contentment? Because people's lives are thirsty. You can hear people, they might get the fame, they might get the glory, they might have the successes and an impeccable resume of accomplishments. It might have impacted them socially, economically. But when you listen to the interviews, you can still hear the thirst in them. I, uh, when you come to Christ, you, you step into battle. Every one of our lives, remember, Paul said, endure hardness is a good soldier, right? We're in a spiritual war. We can't lose sight of that. It's not playground, battleground, okay? That's, that's what we're in as Christians. We have an enemy that hates us, doesn't fight fair. He's always harassing us, trying to create things. And in, in the battle over the years, uh, especially because of the cost of sharing this, I've been discouraged. I've experienced oppression, possibly depression. I've been fearful. I've lost joy at times. I've lost peace. I've let my heart get wrong more times than I'd like to admit. In all those things that I've been through, plus more things, you get like Peter sometimes, things get hard, and you contemplate even leaving the ministry. But I'll tell you what, the one thing I've never been in my life since I got saved is empty. I've never been empty. Sometimes joy, peace, those things can get depleted. You go through things, you get discouraged. All that stuff can come, but I'm telling you, I feel like Peter, you know, I'm like, where in the world would I go? He alone has the words of eternal life. Once you drink from the well of who Jesus Christ is, there's nothing else you can drink from or satisfy. This woman was living at the well of sexual immorality. That's a big well. A lot of people are dipping their cup into that. Some people are dipping in the well of pornography, drug use, alcoholism, whatever it might be. Those are the wells that they're drinking from. But the heart was designed to connect with Jesus, and that's where the place of that living water would take place, where there would be an internal life source in refreshment that would connect us from heaven through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we would never be dissatisfied or empty. We got a war going on out there? I'm going to give them some living water in a minute. But the water that I shall give 
shall be in a, a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. And, and the woman said unto her, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. All right, I lost, so I lost track of the time. So it's time to take communion. We're going to pick up on that next week. But, but look at this is what it's all about. He that believeth shall not come into condemnation. Do we believe what this represents was a sacrifice of love. The love of the Son that was willing to come, the love of the Father that was willing to send him. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. Redeemed with what? Not, not perishable things like gold and silver, the precious blood of the Lamb. That's what we get to celebrate today. So as we take communion, this is your time and my time to be reminded we're loved to a degree we'll never understand on this side of eternity. We'll never understand the depths of it. Every day, hopefully, we're understanding it more, but we'll never come to the full understanding of it on this side of eternity. It's too deep. It's too wide. It's too high. Paul told us that in Ephesians 3. But we trust when he said it is finished, it was finished. And you and I add nothing to it. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. So allow the Spirit of God to refresh you as you take communion. A cracker representing the body, the juice representing the blood. Without that blood being shed, no forgiveness of sins. But because it was shed, the opportunity to be forgiven. I'm so glad to be forgiven. And I had so much to be forgiven for. Past, present, and unfortunately future. But the blood of Christ is sufficient. Father, we give you thanks for your love and for your faithfulness, Lord. We we thank you that we get to take communion today. And, and Lord, nobody ministers to us better than you do. And, and we pray that as we sit here taking communion, we remember there's an empty tomb and, and that you promised that you would walk in the midst of your church and when there's two or three gathered, that you're in the midst. So you're right, you're right now, Lord, with us. And, and I pray that there be a renewed appreciation and a gratefulness, Lord, for for your sacrifice. I just pray that there would even be a refreshing, if need be, of your love for the souls that are weary in here. Bring those lost Samaritans into our path this week, God. You died for them as much as you died for us. We bless you in Jesus' name.